All right, welcome to another week of Latter-day Conversations with Mike and Cade here today, as always. We're glad to have another session today and uh, recording this podcast. We always enjoy these conversations. Hope you guys do too. And we'll start right off with the first question. And I'm going to ask this one to you, Cade. Here it goes. Many seem to be converted to capitalism as much as anything else. Is it the Lord's way or are alternatives like socialism viable doctrinally based alternatives? Ooh, okay. So we're starting off with a, a bang today, it looks like. Um, so this is actually a really, really good question. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, I'll, I'll start off and preface this. Uh, there's, there's a lot of quotes you'll find from leaders of the church, especially from like the 60s, 70s, and 80s when uh, communism was on the rise and whatnot. And uh, there, there's plenty of quotes that you can find from prophets and apostles uh, kind of dissing on socialism. Now, that being said, I, I've rarely, if ever, read anything particularly on capitalism itself. But I'll, I'll give you kind of just my at least thoughts on, on the matter for now. That uh, it, it seems like in society, for the most part, we're, we're offered two different options. Um, and those, the, the, the thing with those two options, whatever it is, whether it's two political parties, two um, monetary systems, or, or whatever it might be, often both options are not the best options but that are sometimes is one that's better than another, right? So for example, with capitalism, it's my opinion that while it fulfills the the role that God assigns of us acting with our agency and uh, being able to own private property, um, it does not often fulfill our responsibility to comfort the sick and the weary, to, to feed this, to, to um, you know, essentially take care of the poor and the needy. And that's a huge part of what we ought to be doing. Now, I don't believe that we should be forced to do anything like that. That's not what I'm saying, which would be the alternative of socialism, right? Where you, you don't have that private ownership of, of uh, property and, and essentially it's all, all that you have is extorted. That being said, supposedly the, uh, the, the sick and afflicted, the, the poor are taken care of, right? And so I, I, that, that's kind of how I distinguish the two is while they're both alternatives, it, it seems to me that capitalism might be the better alternative but not necessarily the best alternative. Mm, okay. I like that for, for starters here. And um, just some thoughts on what you're saying is um, while capitalism as a you know economic form of um, government doesn't supply all of those needs for those edge cases of, you know, the poor and needy and the disabled and such, um, that does not prevent any of the members who are in this society to do those things by themselves. It just doesn't enforce it by the rule, by the structure of the the government type, right? Correct. Does that make sense? So, so while while other forms of government, like socialism and communism, may claim to enforce that, just you know, by virtue of the structure of that government type, um, but it doesn't prevent you know members of the society to just jump in and say, well, you know. We're not forced to, to give to charity and stuff, but we're going to do it anyway. So, so yeah, I guess it brings up the question of should the government, um, you know, be the one who's in charge of taking care of all those people or is it, or is it the people's job? You know, what is the, what is the um, motive for the government? What, you know, we could go really deep here, but uh, yeah. anyway, let's back up and cause you kept it pretty um, direct to the question. I think that's a good idea. So okay. Yeah. Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that or do you? Yeah. So uh, kind of continuing on what you're saying, you know, and, and you, I, I appreciate you going through and kind of uh, defining that out a little bit more, but it, it's kind of interesting that we really do have a lot of these different systems. And, and I don't know, I mean, even growing up, I, I had plenty of passion for, for capitalism, but I think one dangerous thing with capitalism is you can see how easily greed can seep into that, right? That, that there's corruption on both sides of the spectrum, whether or not we're biased towards that. Right. And, and I, I, uh, our next question that we have on here, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that too, but, but greed, I don't think it's a controversial thing to say that greed is, is not a good thing. Right. It's one of the seven deadly, uh, is it uh, heresy? I don't know. Whatever, whatever those things are called, the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of what will happen often with, with capitalism, but you can also see that in, in forms of what's happened with socialism. And so I think that the question, at least to me, kind of suggests, well, then what's the Lord's alternative, right? And, and perhaps some of us have heard of it or, or not, but this ultimately leads to, to the united order, as it, as it was once called, to a, a more pure way of, of living the, um, 
law of consecration where all of our goods are, are in, in some fashion or another uh, given to the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, I, I like those thoughts a lot. I'm, if, if you have more to put on that, uh, go ahead. I was, I was kind of going to take it in a little different direction. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll be uh, real brief on this kind of thought. This is a little bit of a tangent, I guess, but um, it's, it's interesting to me, kind of uh, the Lord's thoughts on, on these things. And a lot of the early church history stuff, they, they distinguished the, our, our church, right? The church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints with um, our uniting of, of properties and resources together uh, in, in the church, right. To establish these Zion-like communities of, of sorts, right. Where we're all, uh, living jointly with, uh, while we still own private property, but we willingly give that to the Lord. And I think that's kind of the main distinction between this united order and, and, and socialism is it, it follows capitalism in the sense where you still have that free will and it follows socialism to, to the extent where you're really living the law of consecration, but not being extorted by the government forcefully to do so that every single person that ever has or ever will enter into the united order or the united firm, however you want to call it, does so by their own willing and free choice. And if, if you want to learn more about this topic, actually, there's a, a great talk by, uh, I believe it's Marion G. Romney, called Socialism and the United Order, if I remember correctly. But uh, I'd highly recommend that for everyone. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've listened to that or not. I'd have to look it up and see if it rings a bell. But I do know, um, yeah, sometimes they draw parallels and uh, some of the, they you know point out some of the good features of, uh, socialism or even communism, or they will, you know, show the dangers of it and how it's can be posed as Satan's counterfeit for the United Order. <laughs> so <laughs> you can really take it both ways. But um, yeah, anyway, we'll have to put a, a lot of uh, those talks as reference because I know there are a few of them, especially like you said, in the 50s and 60s when, um, you know, post-World War II and uh, communism was on the rise and this was a very relevant topic. And so there's been a lot said about this and I think it's very useful to, to see those references. So we'll put those in the notes. Okay, so um, this is what I was thinking, Kate. Um, you know, if I'm asked this question of, or trying to answer it of whether capitalism is, you know, the way, the celestial way of government, um, I would say, you know, probably not. And also that it depends because if you're looking for the perfect system uh, to rule a fallen world like this or a society of such mixed and mingled people, um, you're not going to find it. There's no perfect system for us. Um, you know, there, I think uh, some people call government the necessary evil. And I think that's, you know, somewhat true. We, um, we need it, but there's every, every system is going to have some flaws. And I think it's just a matter of trying to find the best one that works for, you know, our practical intents and purposes, but it's going to be different based on where you're coming from. You know, if you're a small native, you know, tribe, um, in a rural area, your government system is going to be very different. That's why patriarchal systems thrived more than, or, you know, systems with a chief and a monarch and stuff. But then as you get really big and expand into, in, you know, industry and, economics and they get uh, really complex, then different systems are better. So I think, you know, from a standpoint of economics and um, just, uh, you know, examining from in social interests of the society too, different government types will be different for the group, depending on how big it is, what their interests are. And, you know, if they have common beliefs and values, because if you were the same religion, you can use a you, you don't have to separate church and state like, you know, with the Jews, with the law of Moses, you don't have to separate church and state. But if you're trying to make a government for people where they're not all going to be the same religion, you have to take that into account and you can't use doctrine as law, which is a whole nother, you know, difficult <laughs> complexity to throw in it. So I'm just trying to yeah. open our eyes here and say it really depends on what society you're trying to give the government. It has to be suited to them and their needs. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. And so kind of like what you're getting to, to, to the point of, uh, you know, which, which is the lesser evil of sorts, right? And, and I, I think if, if, if you are forced to choose between capitalism or socialism or, or communism or whatever, um, the, the clear and obvious choice should be capitalism. And that's not just for the, the sake of, oh, well, because we live in the United States and that's the, you know, we, live, we have a mixed market over here, which is supposedly somewhat capitalist, right? But, but the fact of the matter is, 
that, that this free agency, this ability to choose and not have these things imposed upon you by, by government entities, by these authorities, right? It, it's a very big deal. Um, there's, it, you, you, if you just spend five minutes searching this up on, on Google or whatever, uh, on, you know, uh, quotes from the church leaders on, on socialism or, or communism, you'll find quite a few. Uh, one, of, one of my favorites that I, I've had in my notes for a little while is actually from uh, President Ezra Half Benson. But, but he says this kind of in regards to, to communism. And he says, whenever the God of heaven reveals his gospel to mankind, Satan, the arch enemy to Christ, introduces a counterfeit. Communism introduced into the world, it introduced into the world is the substitute for true religion. It is a counterfeit of the gospel plan. Uh, and he continues on this kind of same path. But it, it's kind of interesting to see the reasoning. And, and, and this is a consistent message you'll see from Latter-day prophets and apostles that they do teach consistently that this uh, forceful withdrawal or, or state of, of requiring all of your funds or the majority of your funds to government is, is not right. And, and it withdraws you from that liberty to which you are entitled. Right. Um, now that being said in, in, in the, in the days coming up to the millennium and throughout, we will be able to live a, a perfect law, which is actually really exciting. And it's something that we even covenant to do. Um, and we, we don't necessarily even covenant to do that in the future, but even right now. Right. Um, but it's, it, it's a very interesting topic because I, I don't know. I, I just, it, going up in Utah, it just seems like there's a very big passion, at least in where I've been from and the surroundings that I've enjoyed of capitalism is king, right? It is the only and, and true, it, it's God's, you know, he touched it with his finger and, and, and it's mm. perfect from here on out, right? It's kind of how I was raised even. And, and I've just recognized that while it, it might be the best alternative between what we do have right now, it's, it's surely not uh, God sanctioned to the degree that I think we often speak of it as being. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm totally with you. I think, um, yeah, capitalism works. It is very practical. Um, from a practical standpoint, I think it's the best system that, um, we, you know, we have on earth right now. And, uh, from a practical standpoint, I think communism is a horrible system because every case <laughs> that's implemented it has failed miserably. And, you know, some things look better on paper than they do in practice. And I think you, especially with economic ideas, uh, you, you really got to look at the practical data. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, and you could also find that corroborated with the uh, quotes from, from leaders, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Kate. I think sometimes we mistake in taking a correlation and, um, holding on to that and making it part of our religion. You know, it's just a corollary of the religion or something that was useful at some points, but capitalism I think has uh, yeah been endorsed by some, maybe some leaders and talks and stuff, but it is not part of our religion. And while the, the constitution of the United States, um, I know there's a lot of stuff on that too, by church leaders. Um, we can say that God's hand was involved in making that, but it doesn't mean that that's the constitution that's going to be in the celestial kingdom. That's a totally different context. And yeah, capitalism, I don't think has a place in the celestial kingdom because it's a very different society you know, we're all on the same page of morality and the, yeah, a lot of, you know, we don't have to compromise to make laws allowing certain sins. You, you know, it's a totally different case. So anyway, I, I, I definitely agree with you there. And I think from a practical standpoint, from, you know, from quotes from church leaders um, and from scriptures talking about the celestial kingdom and the order that probably exists there in the society there, we can, we can say these things at least speculatively or with some kind of assurance. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I, I love that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and just some final thoughts. I, maybe one of these days, actually, it's probably better. I never discuss taxes because I'll just ramble for hours about how much I can't stand them. <laughs> oh, we need to have a question about taxes. Let's add that to next, next episode. We'll, we'll do that next April. Okay. <laughs> Should I file a W2 if I'm... No, I'm... <laughs> no but I, I don't know. Even just the simple fact of... Um, of, of taxes alone, right? I, I don't know. I, I Going through the Book of Mormon, if you ever read about King Noah and, and Mosiah, right, in the Book of Mosiah, it talks about how, first off, he, he's one of the most wicked people you'll find in the entire scripture there, right? 
and he taxes his people one fifth of all that they possess. A whole fifth. Wow. <laughs> all I'm saying is, if that were the case over here, <laughs> oh, our Europeans are like, "Wow, that would be nice." No, you got to for pay, us. You got to pay your fair share, man. <laughs> but, we get taxed on our taxes, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but long story short, not a big fan of taxes, uh, especially to uh, crippling degrees. But yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good summation. That's about everything I had on on that first question. Would you like me to? Um, yeah. Any, any other thoughts on this? This isn't a good like bang to end on, but uh, one other thought I had is that even in our country right now, um, not all aspects of our economy are ruled by capitalism. Like uh, the health industry, you know, healthcare is a little more socialist. I think I, I'm not an expert on this than you know some of our other economic areas, mm-hmm. and. So yeah, I think the context changes too because with the healthcare system, um, it doesn't yield the same type of um, features where capitalism, a capitalist uh, form or system can work. You know, like you don't know all the prices in advance, and um, everything can't be or isn't at least as public as other products are. And anyway, I guess the point yeah. is just you know don't hang on so hard to capitalism. I think it's a great thing, but yeah, maybe we're putting the cart in front of the horse in some instances. Yeah, and I'll even go this far to say that um, it, it's it, it's it's better than socialism. But I don't know, even know if I would if I would say it's a great thing. Um, I don't know, and, and that's not. I'm not one of those people. I don't. I mean, scripturally, it's it's not. If someone goes and earns their fair wage and whatever, and we'll, we'll probably discuss this more in the next question, which continues on the same track. But um, I don't know. Ultimately. The, the beautiful thing about capitalism is it does permit people to have that liberty of, of personal property and, and to essentially choose their lives. Now, going off what, what you're saying with, with uh, even just healthcare and stuff, it, it's, it's scary and it's kind of worrisome, kind of everything that's going on. I mean, it, especially you have this whole industry essentially that's able to charge to these insurance companies or whatever that are kind of the limitless checkbook that they can write out to with whatever amounts that they want and I don't know. I, I, I do believe that we will see some interesting things in the future. Things are only going to get worse from here on out in, in most ways. Uh, but there, there's definitely some hope because the, the worse it gets, the, the closer we likely are. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, cool. I think that's good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Sorry for that little ramble, but we'll move on to this next question. And this one's for you, Mike. It's uh, on this exact same line of thought. Uh, is seeking for money okay? Oh, I didn't notice that nuance there that it's seeking, not just obtaining and having money. Okay, so um, that's an interesting uh, point. Okay, uh, yeah, I think it is okay. That's my answer. Okay. <laughs> so I, I know there are some scriptures on it. Uh, King Benjamin talks about this a bit. Um, and Mosiah, he, he talks about how the people have gotten you know rich, some of them. And he says, uh, after you've obtained hope in Christ, he says, obtain that first. That's the most important thing. And and you shall obtain riches if you seek them. If you seek them is the caveat there. And you will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry. So I think, uh, you know, riches are, are an interesting thing because they magnify your, your strengths and your weaknesses. If you have some defects and you're, um, you're not a... Uh, I don't know, like your personal development is not completed. You're going to have a rough time with money. Uh, you're going to end up as a drug addict. You're going to spend your money unwisely. It's going to bring you misery. But if you can have peace without money um, and you know, you've developed yourself well, I think money is a powerful tool that can be used well. So anyway, yeah, I think it's a good thing and it's okay to seek it. But as King Benjamin states, you got to have your priorities in order. Don't seek money before God and make sure that you're also humble with it and willing to give to others. Okay. That's, that's fair. I, I don't know. I might slightly disagree to, to some degree, but I, I actually, I think practically that's generally what most of us kind of go about doing, right? That as long as you're trying to, you know, provide for your family, which is a responsibility, as long as you're trying to do good, you know, and, and, and serve others and help others and do what you can, then you're going about it pretty okay. Right. Okay. Um, I like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what you're saying now. <laughs> now uh, there, there's a few scriptures. Uh, obviously there's, you know, the ones that, you know, talk about in uh, the, 
Sermon on the Mount uh, by Jesus, where he talks about, you know, lay not up for yourself treasure on the earth where moth doth and rust doth corrupt, right? And, and so on and so forth. Uh, and actually leads into one of my favorite scriptures where he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? Which is, that's just a powerful uh, scripture. But uh, furthermore, I, I'll, I'll start with probably one of the scriptures that kind of hit me hard. And I'll, I'll tell you, so mo most of these things that kind of have come out to me is, um, there's a book by Hugh Nibley. It's called Approaching Zion. And it, it's very interesting and, and um, it's very passionate about money. And that's one of the main topics that comes up over and over again through the the articles that found in that book. But but it's it's a really good book. And, and doctrinally, I, I haven't been able to refute a lot of the things that he says, right? But but one of the, the scriptures he quoted, and, and since he has, I haven't been able to get this out of my mind, but it's in 2 Nephi 26, uh, verse 31. And it says, but the laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion. For if they labor for money, they shall perish. And it's just this, it's, it's this interesting thought that, that kind of actually comes up very frequently in scripture uh, about money, about the goods, right? That, that our, our responsibility is to, to give to the poor, right? I mean, uh, King Benjamin's discourse, he talks about, you know, are we not all beggars, right? Talking about, you know, you have these beggars that are begging for money and, and woe unto those that are chastising them for saying, hey, you put yourself in that own, in, in that own spot, you know, that, you know, if you do that to them, are you not a beggar as well? Begging to, to God is, is what he kind of references it to and praying that your sins will be forgiven you. Do you not beg as well? And that's kind of the, the topic he takes it. But one of my, I'll, I'll lead probably the last scripture thing I'll, I'll, I'll quote right here, but in, I think it's Luke 12, um, Christ shares a parable of a rich fool, right? And uh, essentially in this parable, he, he goes through and he shares the story of, of this guy who goes out and he fills his barn with apples or whatever it might have been. And and then uh, he's like, well, I, I don't have room to fit any more apples, right? And so he goes out and and uh, decides to, to amass more wealth. And he, he, he ex tries to expand this barn that he has where he put all of his goods, right? And in, in the parable, I, I don't have it pulled up before me, but uh, he, he basically dies that night, right? The, the Lord takes his life from him and then calls him, you know, the, this rich fool, you know, how, how he put his, his trust into these, these false ideas of, of things in this life. Now that's not to say, I, I, I genuinely believe it's okay to provide for your family. <laughs> I, I believe it's not only okay, especially for men, but, but as we read in the proclamation in the family proclamation of the world, that it's also a responsibility. But I, I do think that there's an interesting thing. And, and there's a reason why I phrase this question this way, uh, that, that seeking for money in of itself for it to be the means to an end, just to seek for the money, just to have money, I, I don't believe is okay. Um, now, if you're seeking for that money, like like the scripture you had read, in order to go out and, and help others, in order to provide for your family, in order to to be able to serve in, in church capacities, in order to to you know give to the poor and the needy, then. then the more the merrier. I mean, you look at scriptural examples like Abraham and I mean, they, they were very wealthy people, but they, they also surely gave very, very much of what they had, if not everything right through sacrifice. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. So um, would it be a problem if someone seeks for money while being willing to give it all up for God? So I, that's a hard question. <laughs> and, and I don't know, I'll go back to, to second Nephi 26, 31. And there's, there's plenty of other scriptures that you can find this. Right. Um, but, but consistently the scriptures do condemn seeking for money for money's sake. So if you're, if you're seeking for that money, but willing to give the money, are you, are you still just seeking for the money to give the money or are you seeking for the money so you can help others? Right. Whether that be your kids, whether that be your family, whether that be your ward and, and so on and so forth. And, and to some degree, and I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, I, we, we, we truly do covenant to give everything that we have. And that's not conditioned upon in the future we will do this. Just, just to clarify, that, that, that's something that, you know, for those of you who have received your endowments, we, we covenant to give all of our time, talents, and means to the building up of the kingdom of God on earth, right? Um, right. But, but yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Um, kind of. Well, yeah, yeah, because... Um... Yeah, if you're seeking money for its own sake, um, I see how that can be problematic. But is it necessarily 
mutually exclusive with, you know, having God first in our lives. Cause um, you know, what if someone does seek for the money just for money's sake, they like money, but they like God better, you know? So if it comes down to it and God says, sell all that you have and give all to the poor, then like the rich young man, you, you don't falter and you actually do give it away. You know, that's not mutually exclusive. Like you could seek for money and actually love money, mm-hmm. um, but you love God more. And I know that's an interesting situation and not a very common one perhaps. Um, but yeah, do, do you see what I mean? Like, what if that happens? Do you think that would still um, be a problem? I, so, so here's the thing. I think, uh, I think this president Oaks has a, has a talk a few years, some years ago where he talks about good, better, best, right? I don't think that it's the end of the world. If you, if you look after money and you're trying to have a good retirement, right? I mean, you could, you could even argue that, right? Is your quote unquote retirement, is that trying to build your barn a little bit bigger <laughs> mm. as Christ shares in the parable? And, 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 and perhaps I, I, I don't know. And I, I'm not going to authoritatively declare all this, but I'll, I'll, I'll quote the scripture and, and you can decide for yourself to some degree too. Right. But, um, but, but it's tough. I, and it's, it's not an easy thing. Cause we, we, I, I know it, in this fallen world, especially right now, and, and even with the church, we, we don't have this, um, this, you know, society, we don't have a, a united order, uh, for say to, to truly just give everything that we have all the time. Right. And yeah, I guess you still could, you could donate it to the missionary fund and stuff like that, but, but not in the way that the church has in the past. Right. I mean, even up till late 1800s, we were through Brigham Young, we did uh, some of the United firm and the United order, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this. There's, there's a scripture in Jacob. Uh, I think it's chapter two, but he talks about that after you have this hope in Christ instilled in you, and then you go out and obtain riches. He, he says, uh, let's see, he says, if you seek them and seek them, then then you must seek them for the intent to do good or something along those lines. And he goes on, you know, to talks about to, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry and, and to administer to the, the sick and afflicted and stuff like that. But, but, but it, it's, it's interesting because he, he then quotes what, what you hear in the new Testament. He says, but before you seek riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. So, so that, that line of there alone doesn't say that it's not that it's that it's always bad to seek for riches but like i've said before i think the reason why you seek those riches is what matters yeah yeah i think uh really you know if people are really disagreeing with us right now as you're listening um i think part of it could be we mean different things by what we're saying when someone says seeking for money um maybe someone could be thinking you know, oh, that's obviously that's a bad thing because who cares about, you know, green paper or, you know, numbers in a bank, it's meaningless. Um, so if you're obsessed with that, it's an unhealthy desire. It's a vain ambition. And, uh, you know, like Alman, Alma told the son Corianton, or I always get his name wrong. Is it Corianton or Corianton? Yeah, it's Corianton, right? Yeah, it's Corianton. Uh, Seek not after riches, nor the vain things of this world. For behold, you cannot carry them with you. So someone could say that. But then another person on the other side is like, well, no, when I mean money, I mean wealth and prosperity. So why, you know, and if they're thinking that thing and the other person's thinking the other thing, no wonder they disagree. But, you know, maybe I could rephrase the question to you, Cade, is seeking for wealth and prosperity a bad thing? Because some people might equate money with that. Um, I don't know. For, for me right now, as you say that, I, I don't see much of a difference between the two. I think, I mean, mm. in, in reality, is, is there much of a difference between having wealth or, or money in your bank account? I mean, aren't they to some degree synonymous or, or am I well, hearing, hearing you wrong? I can see like a, a Scrooge guy who's obsessed with the coins, right? He just, he wants to, it's like collectors, you know, they collect coin, they collect money. Um, it's, it's not just a practical amount of money. They're not even using it. It's just like collecting it for the sake of having it and owning the money. Um, versus someone who's concerned more about prospering and progressing. And I would even argue that the celestial kingdom um, is a prosperous and wealthy and progressive uh, society, not in progressive in the way we use it in our society. But uh, (laughs) yeah. So uh, what do you think about that? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent. And that's the thing is, is ultimately when it comes down to it, like, like I said, Abraham, he was a very wealthy man, right? There, mm-hmm. there are plenty of scriptural accounts where you'll find these people. Lehi likely was a very, very wealthy man, right? They go back for all this gold, the silver and, and so on and so and, forth. And even as a consequence of their righteousness, right? They equate it with, you know, they're righteous and they're blessed and prospered in the land. Mm-hmm. 
Right, and that, that's often a blessing that'll come upon the righteous, right? That's, uh, as far as I've been told, a blessing of, of the tribe of Ephraim, right? That you'll be blessed with the good things of the earth. Um, but, but, and that, that's the thing is, I'm not saying that, that wealth itself or, or money itself or uh, whatever is, is evil. But, but as Paul says to Timothy, right, is he's, the, the, the root of all evil is the love of money or, or something along those lines, right? The love oh, of money okay. is the root of all evil. That, that it, it's, it's particularly your desire and when you when you love that money, when you put that before the Lord, when it comes down to it, and, and you say, "Hey, I want that ten percent that that the Lord has commanded me and and bless me to to give to Him in tithing, or or even if it was a hundred percent of everything I had, and and I want that more than I want to to serve God, if at any time that that money is is placed prioritized before God is in your life, then He then that money in in essence and is your God." Right, whatever you put in first place in your life has, has become something to some degree that you worship, and and that's a, that's a very slippery slope. And so it, it's not that that wealth itself is bad. It's not that money itself it's bad, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are some interesting angles here, and um, you know I can see both sides. Honestly, I I don't disagree with you, Cade. Um, I think I think that makes sense. But, but um, it doesn't. It just. It doesn't seem very uh, realistic in today's society, does it? What at what point exactly? Like just the not loving the money, just not not really seeking it, seeking it at all. I mean, it just. And that's the hard thing is like I was trying to get to at least a little bit earlier is, uh, we right now. I mean, there's there's really you, you you can't just live off of a farm and 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 survive. Not not very well nowadays. I mean, with property taxes alone. I mean, it's. It, it, it's a different world than it was 2000 years ago. Sadly, it was a different, it's a different world than it was 200 years ago. Uh, but, but I, I think we can take the, the, the scriptures and understand at least for ourselves and, and decide kind of where we want to be and, and the priorities that we set in our life, right? That while we do want to provide for our families, while we do want to be able to have freedom to maybe go and serve a mission, a, a full-time mission and, and be able to afford that in the future. Right? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like we really go without purse or script anymore. So you, mm -hmm. you do have to save up for that. You have to have money in order to do that. You know, I mean, mission presence, so far as I've talked to all the ones I have, they, they ask them about their finances. They make sure that they're well enough off that they wouldn't be destitute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the leaders in the church are um, affluent, you know, and a lot of the apostles and uh, president Nelson, even, you know, they, they are very successful in what they do. So, yeah, I, I actually wouldn't say that, you know, you should be concerned about making too much money or you should be like, oh, I shouldn't shouldn't be making this much or you start feeling bad because you get a bonus or something like it is good to have a lot of money. It's good to prosper. It's good to provide that. And I think as members of the church, we actually are very prosperous people um, because of our values, I believe, you know, an emphasis on education and family values and the things that uh, lead to prosperity. And I think that's no... Um, mistake. You know, God's ways lead to prosperity. I think Adam in the garden, it, he, um, rightly so, should have been concerned about um, tilling the soil and progressing and taking care of his needs as much as he could. Um, you know, if you took it to a farmer's case, they should be very concerned about um, harvesting the soil and doing all they can to reap all the benefit from the soil they can. But don't be so concerned about it that you um, I don't know, that it messes up your relationship with God, you know, where you put your trust in your own works, the strength of your arm instead of God's, um, or that you get so concerned with your pursuit of riches that it interferes with um, your relationship with God, which I can totally see because as you quoted, you know, money's the root or the love of money is the root of all evil. In this, in the book of Mormon, you just search riches and most references to riches are negative connotations because of the negative impact it had on their society. It was always, you know, they misused it. It uh, poisoned them. I don't know. You know, it, it's just, it's a tricky yeah. thing, but I hope we're drawing <laughs> the balance well. Here. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is it, it is a very, it's a, it's a touchy topic and I don't think that even I understand it fully either, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, we, we do need to recognize that, um, Right. We, we don't take those things with us to, to worry maybe a little bit more about our families, to, to create relationships with them and relationships with our friends, to, to find those things that are eternal. 
And uh, it's, it's at least my opinion and view that, uh, that the most important things in life are the things that continue beyond this one, right? Knowledge, intelligence, uh, charity, uh, all, all of those beautiful and wonderful things that make you a better person. Um, that being said, that's, that's not saying that, that money itself is evil, that surely church leaders now and, and in the past have been blessed and will continue to be blessed for their service with both things temporally and spiritually. And, and that's okay. That being said, don't make money the highlight of your life. Don't make that the only reason you wake up in the morning. I have plenty of friends my own age that are great people, but that, that that's become their entire life. They don't care about whether they're married or not. They don't care about their kids as much as they should or, or church service, or they reject callings because they're too worried about making a little bit of extra dough. So, so, so find that line and, and, and learn to recognize those things that are important because the, the, the true thing at the end of the day is that anything in this life can be bought for money and those things that can be bought for money are things that are not eternal yeah i think the the point is and maybe this draws more on that line and articulates the line of where money's wrong seeking for it at least is um you know when it's no longer just a means to an end when it's like you're you're pursuing it for the end of the means it's you know you're chasing that career path just to be the top dog just to make the most money just to have the most in your bank account that's when it's a problem um, you know, like me, I, I work merely to provide for my family. And in fact, um, you know, if I can work less hours to make enough money to provide for my family, I will totally take that. I don't care about climbing the corporate ladder just for hierarchical um, success or accolade. I, I do not care at all about that. I just want to be with my family and provide for them. And, um, you know, I think that's a healthy aspect. But yeah, you're right, Kate, in our society, we see a lot of people um, chasing that and, and they promote it as if it's, you know, such a glorious endeavor, um, even for women, you know, trying to pull them away from motherhood and say, oh, you can do everything men can do. And let's do the, the feminist movement here. And you get in the top dog position in this career to show them that you're, you can do everything. It's like, for what, you know, give up motherhood, which is the most fulfilling role yeah. you can have for chasing this career path and, you know, getting a corporate, uh, position, you know, it's just, I think it's horrible. And for men and women alike to chase that as their endeavor um, is a, is a vain endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very satisfactionless life, right? You're always looking for a bigger box. You're always looking for a nicer car and, and it's just, it, it never will satisfy you. That's, that's just the fact of the matter. And you're, you're a father and a husband, and I'm sure you could testify to, you know, the importance of, and, and the gratitude you have for, for the position you've been put in for that way, way stronger, more powerfully than I ever could. But I do know for my life that there's nothing that matters more to me than, than trying to have a future family of my own. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, that's, that's about all I had to say for, for money. It's a, it's an interesting topic, topic, if nothing less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you um, drew some distinctions there and, um, showed the other side a little bit because I think there's a lot to see on both sides there. And it's, it's definitely balanced because, you know, it's good yeah. to seek to prosper, but yeah, I'd just be repeating myself if I talk more. So let's move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Last question. And I'm going to ask this one to you, Cade, or okay. vice versa. Is that right? I'm asking you, right? Uh, I think so. I, I couldn't even tell you. Let's see. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I did, so. yeah. Because I did do the first one. So yeah. Okay. Faith versus works. What's the balance? Faith versus works. What is the balance? Um, this is an interesting question. Let's see here. I don't even know where to start with this, to be honest with you. Maybe I should have asked you the question. <laughs> but, well, let's start with um, members in the church versus other Christians. Do you think there's a difference sure. there? Maybe yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll give my brief... Uh, I'll, I'll try to make it brief at least. Uh, so, so long story short, uh, we believe in faith and we believe in works and we believe in grace. <laughs> so uh, here's the ultimate kind of rundown uh, so far as I understand it, right? That we, we are firm believers of faith, right? You can find this in James. He, he's very passionate about the importance of, of, of works, right? That, you know, faith without works is dead is, you know, some of the quotations you'll hear over and over and over again. But the, the important fact of, of the matter is um, that both of them are, are very important, right? This, this, this grace, this faith, and these works are, are both very critical. Because at the end of the day, the whole purpose of everything is to become like God, right? And, and that's kind of one of the distinctions of, of what you'll see between 
our church and, and other churches is, is often the main focus that you'll hear very frequently in, in most churches is, is entering into the kingdom of heaven, right? Or, or entering into heaven or whatever they want to call it. But, but to become a person who dwells in heaven is a completely different aspect that we, we rarely even discuss. And that's the whole purpose, right? If you're not the kind of character, the kind of being who wants to dwell in the presence of God for all of eternity, who enjoys doing the same things that he does, likely you, you won't even want to be there. Likely, right? If, you, if you're not a huge fan of missionary work, if you're not a huge fan of trying to save souls to some degree, whether it be in the temple through missionary work or through other various means, which is supposedly what God does, at least for a lot of his time, right? Creating worlds without end and, and populating them and trying to exalt his children, um, then you might not enjoy heaven to the degree that, that you might think you would, right? And so, so I, I, I think getting to the purpose of that to get there, surely you do need to do works so that you can become a changed person, right? To become born again to some degree where, where that's what you enjoy, where your lifestyle is one that's that, that would be considered holy or saintly, I guess would be a, a better term for that, right? That you can become a Latter-day Saint in all, all sense of the, uh, the word. And, um, I, I believe that this this grace, right? So do, do you earn your way into heaven or, or whatever? Maybe we can discuss a little bit about this in a second, but um, surely works are required. But I, I just want to make this quick point and then I'll, I'll let you kind of share a few of your thoughts and maybe guide it a little bit more straight. Um, but but I, I think it's very important to recognize this. First and foremost, if there is a church in, this, in, in all of Christianity that believes in grace, um, we are that church. And, and this is not just some big old political stunt or cool saying, but, it, but it's genuine and it's true, okay? No other Christian denomination proclaims that so much of humanity will be saved, at least to some degree of glory, than we do. We, we, we declare very proudly and through revelation that every single person will be saved, whether or not they are righteous. Now, that being said, the degree to glory which you will go to does depend. The only ones that will be eternally damned for an endless duration, so far as we understand, are those who deny deny the Holy Ghost, right? And and supposedly, from everything I've understood, that's going to be a, a few and rare kind of an ordeal. Every single other person, those who go to quote-unquote hell, go to the celestial kingdom, <laughs> which is a degree of salvation. And so so that's kind of just my, my first kind of brief rundown of my thoughts on on this. And I don't know if that's kind of where you wanted to head with this, but but I, I think that's an important thing to understand that we really, if there if there's a religion in all of Christianity that believes in in salvation by grace, we do more than any. Yeah, well, you know what's interesting, Kate, I'll just go where you're leaving off here. We do have that spelled out in our doctrine for the most, you know, generous doctrine here that all are saved. I remember some lady on my mission was she was just walking around and we were going in our apartment and we talked a little bit and she wanted to kind of challenge me on this. I think she, she kind of knew that we thought we were the only true church and such and such. So she's like, okay, tell me, am I saved? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to be saved. And she was kind of surprised. And she's like, huh, I thought, you know, he would say that not because they think they're the only true church and people uh -huh. don't understand that, but yeah, like yeah, everyone's going to be <laughs> saved. And then, you know, she didn't know what I'm talking about, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's interesting <laughs> that we have that spelled out in our doctrine, yet members of our church really struggle with feeling like we have to earn every single grace and like we have to earn God's, um, I don't know, even the right for him to, to look at us unashamedly, you know, or like to, I feel like we're just very dependent upon our work sometimes and there's a balance here so you know it's always about the balance and i hate to <laughs> say that on every single question i want to put some things hard in words but it's, uh i don't know i guess there's a balance with a lot of things yeah yeah no and that, that, that's a really good point and i think what it comes down to is it comes down to definitions right because because ultimately if you want to consider salvation as often has been considered as being saved in the highest degree of, of the celestial kingdom or in other words to be exalted then, then that changes things to some degree, right? But if you talk about salvation as being what it truly is, being saved from 
what 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 is what are we saved from from the effects of the fall, right? Which are twofold for the most part. That's all I'll focus on for now. Is is first and foremost physical death, and second of all spiritual death. Okay. And if you go to Helaman, it's either Helaman fourteen or fifteen, but it, it talks about this. It talks about how Christ right has overcome both physical and spiritual death for all mankind. Um, that every single person, regardless of how righteous you are, whether or not you're even a son of perdition, you will be resurrected again. Now, to the degree of glory to which you will be able to be resurrected, that, that varies depending on your works, right? Depending on, on the grace that Jesus Christ has given you um, and that you've, you've tried to become that kind of a person, right? And, and second of all, right, that being saved from spiritual death, right? That we've been cast out from the, the presence of God and every single person will be judged in his presence, right? And so as such, both of those things will be overcome for every single person, regardless of what you do. And, and I think this is a very important thing to understand. Now, if you want to if you want to go to the definition of salvation that, that goes beyond that, where, where we often, sometimes the scriptures do refer to it that, you know, you cannot be saved without baptism or, or you know, repentance and, and faith and all these other things that we talk about very frequently. That type of salvation is referring specifically to entering into the celestial kingdom or even further to become exalted. And so depending on your definition, that I think that's where we get messed. We, we start tripping on our feet and we start saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, without works, you can't ever be saved. Well, what, what, what does it mean to be saved? And, and that's kind of, I, I think, a very important distinction. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think 99% of conflicts and contentions are truly based on a different <laughs> definition of words that each person is using. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, so interesting thing there. And, you know, on my mission, we, we both served in the South, you in Louisiana and, and me in Texas. And so we, we'd see a lot of that uh, Bible Belt area and a lot of the people that are, you know, saved by grace and the people that would say, uh, when were you saved? I was saved on this day. And they, you know, they remember the date and it was usually was something where they were listening to the sermon and, you know, maybe they gave chances for people to stand up and feel the spirit and shake on the convulse on the ground if they wanted, or just maybe it was a more, you know, reverent one where they just shout Hosanna or something like that, <laughs> and, you know, and that's their salvation. And, and from that date on, they are saved. And in their mind, sometimes it's this Calvinist kind of view where they think that no matter what works they do, they're automatically saved. You know, no one yeah. can do anything about it. They can't even resist it. They're just saved. Even if they want to go <laughs> sin and fornicate the rest of their life, they're just saved. You know, no one can do anything about it. God saved them. And so um, this can be a, this can be problematic, you know, for someone who's absolving themselves of any responsibility toward morality on the basis that they have been quote unquote saved, you know? So what would you speak about this, Cade? Yeah, that is an excellent point. Actually, of all people, there's a, a talk by Elder McConkie that uh, he, he mentions this exact same thing, right? Uh, and, and he said, he says that, you know, he it was invited to speak and some other ministers from various or congregations came to hear him speak. Right. And he talks about how one of the ministers came up to him and he was talking with them and he said, Oh, you know, I was saved 2000 years ago and there's nothing I can do about it one way or the other. <laughs> and, and while that is true to some degree, it's, it's a very, very dangerous doctrine to hold. Right. And that's why I think these definitions are very critical, right? If, if you want to be saved to just, be resurrected again and and live in a, a sphere where progress will be halted at the end of that sphere, right? For example, if you go to the celestial kingdom and you cannot go beyond that or the terrestrial or even any degree in the celestial without having obtained that highest or third degree, right? Which comes only through the new and everlasting covenant of marriage um, as DNC 131 and 132 talk about. Um, it's, it's, it, it's just a, it's it's a scary doctrine. It's a scary doctrine when you start essentially saying you're predestined to go to a certain place regardless of what you do. Because if that is the case, ultimately it comes down to well, then what is the whole purpose of commandments? What is the whole purpose of every single thing written in those books, save saying, "Oh, Jesus saved you," right? I mean, you could you could have shortened the entire book of Scripture down to a couple of words, right? <laughs> Why in the world would Jesus Christ come in the New Testament and and say, "Hey, not only should you not." you know, commit adultery, but you shouldn't even lust after a woman in your heart. Not only should you not kill your brother, but you shouldn't even get angry. Right. And, and, and yet you're, you're going to have the, <laughs> the, the, this prominence to say, because Romans 10 or whatever the scripture is you want to quote says that you're, you're saved after confessing the Lord Jesus. And that's it, that there's nothing else you can do. 
that the, all other scriptures negated simply because you, you don't ever have to do anything. I think you're very, very unwisely looking past the purpose of everything, right? And, and that, that's why it comes down to definitions. Well, if you're comfortable living in, in, in eternal worlds with limited progression that will be halted at some degree in some way, shape, or form, if you're okay just kind of knowing for all of eternity that you could have had it better, you could have had family throughout all of eternity, that you could have truly enjoyed eternal joy in the presence of God the Father rather than just the Holy Ghost or rather than just with Jesus Christ, then, then yeah, I guess you can do whatever you want. And that's that's what this life's all about. I guess to some degree, we, we do determine where we go for the rest of eternity. But then there's there, there's the consequence of looking at it the other way to being so concerned about your work so consciously to a point where you almost believe that you save yourself and, and deny the grace of Jesus Christ. And so you have to find, as as uh, I feel like a wise man named Michael <laughs> would say, you have to find a good balance in things. Oh, no. It's what I'm known for, the, the nuance guy. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think it's, it's apt many times. And uh, yeah, so there, there are different camps here. And uh, yeah, on that stuff with the, the people who think they just, you know, God has saved them and there's nothing they can do about it. If they want to sin, they can't stop themselves from being saved. That's a real thing. If, if you guys don't know about it, Calvin, like uh, the, the Calvin's guys, you know, Calvinism, um, that, that is, a, yeah, evangelicals, a lot of sects uh, still believe this to some degree. And even the, the Malachites in the Book of Mormon, I think it probably originated with Nehor or Amosai. Um, there's some theories that Amosai actually was the group that became the Malachites, the spelling kind of similar anyway, but they say, you know, when they, they're on, um, they're visited later by Aaron, um, they say, let's see, we do believe that God will save all men. And, you know, it's, it's this idea that God has made everyone and he'll save everyone. And they're right. Maybe that came from a true source, but they twisted it. Um, and I don't know, maybe, you know, the, the scriptures that Calvinists use to support their claims, they are valid scriptures and they usually know the scriptures very, very well. But I yeah. think the very idea should um, make us squirm because it disagrees with everything else the Bible says, right, about works and faith and such. But yeah, anyway, any other thoughts about that one? I, I also wanted uh, to explore the another thing after we talked yeah, about this. Yeah, sure. Uh, just very briefly, it, uh, another important thing to recognize, too, is is those sins that you do commit in this earth. And Joseph Smith talks about this. He talks about it as the doctrine of, of eternal judgment or something like that. But, but essentially every sin you commit that Christ does not wash clean right now will be paid for, and you will be the one that pays for it. And so, so when you go through a life and, and essentially say, well, because I'm going to be saved, it doesn't matter what the heck I do. So I'm going to go commit adultery. I'm going to go murder. I'm going to go and, and, and fornicate and, and do all these, you know, terrible sins all the time because it, it doesn't matter then you will pay for those sins, right? And, and, and the duration will be until your resurrection. But likely, if that's the case of how you're living, you will not be raised up until the last resurrection, um, right? Which uh, you, you will be perishing and, and suffering for, for a long time. And as we've talked about, it, it's my belief that that perishing, that suffering, that, that ascendeth up like a fire forever, ever, um, essentially is, is this guilt that'll come down upon you in, in a way that, made the son of God bleed from every pore. Hmm. Yeah. So I forgot you, you gave the reference, right? Did you say DNC 19 or were you saying a different one uh, for, for what? For just that, that doctrine about paying for your own sins that you are unrepented of. Uh, so this was uh, Joseph Smith teaches it as the doctrine oh. of e eternal judgments is, is what he calls it. Uh, oh, I gotcha. can some references and send them to you if you'd like. Yeah, no, I no, I'm totally with you. I think, I mean, in DNC 19, I think it says the same thing, like you know, which suffering yeah. caused even God, I God, the greatest of all, to um, yeah. tremble and bleed. Yeah, so you know, if you don't repent of your sins, yeah, they uh, it will cause suffering, um, and uh, we don't have to get too deep into the blood atonement <laughs> tangent tangents and stuff, but <laughs> uh, we'll save Actually, that for another not, not where I was going, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, we're on that topic. <laughs> blood atonement. All right. Uh, anyway, so one other um, issue or topic with this, Cade, is that members of the church, I think sometimes we rely so much on our works and we think works are all that there is. And um. I don't know. We're so hard on ourselves. And I think some of us are sometimes 
unwilling or uncomfortable to accept gri- uh, Christ's grace, you know, to, to be repentant and to feel washed clean and to just say, yeah, you, you have sins, you work through it, you've repented. Um, now you can move on. You can be, be a changed person. You can accept a new nature and a new identity and become the child of Christ, like in the Book of Mormon, or like so many of our evangelical and Baptist, you know, Christian brothers do. But we seem to struggle with it a lot of times, you know. Yeah, yeah, we we, we really do. I mean, and 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 I think to some degree it's okay. I think it's healthy and okay to recognize that we are in need of improvement. That is a healthy and natural and okay thing, right? To be trying to progress and become better and essentially repent, right? To, to be a changed being, right? But but I agree, we, we can go the other way to such a degree where we almost see that we almost feel like we're, we're nothing, right? We've, we've gone so far, we've, we're trying our best, but we just can't get there. And, and I think one of the important concepts to understand is while surely we will be judged for every work that we ever do and every thought that we ever conceive, that and and even the thoughts that we dwell upon, right? Right. Whosoever lusteth after a woman in his heart, right? Um, but but ultimately, one of the important things is we will also be judged for the intents of our heart. Now, I and, and like you've said, a balance here is very critical, and so I'll, I'll be very clear. That does not mean <laughs> that so long as you have good intentions and do not care to wash your hands clean, that you will be you will be perfectly fine. But it is it is my personal opinion that God is much more merciful than I would like him to be. And I believe in a very <laughs> merciful God and, and, and he has to be merciful, right? But he also has to be just. And he finds, as Mike says, you know, I'm going to quote that as he says, he finds a balance perfectly. Now where that balance lies, I, I do not know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ is our redeemer, right? That he does uh, set the conditions where his redemption will come in. He has suffered a great sacrifice so he knows exactly what you go through. He knows the effort you put in trying to overcome temptations and afflictions and addictions and, and pains and sorrows. He knows exactly how to help you to overcome that too. And so I think it's, it's very uh, powerful to understand that we can truly become his sons, right? Uh, becoming heirs, joint heirs with him and ultimately becoming perfect in Christ as Moroni 10 talks about. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, it's it. It is very true. I think we can definitely count on God being merciful. But as President Nelson said, he loves effort. If we are sincerely trying and really trying, you know, and we want good, I think we'll be well off, you know, if you're really trying. But uh, that's that's the crux. Only you know what that truly means. You know, are you really trying or are you just having a good intention? Because as the saying goes, the gate or the gateway to hell is paved with good intentions. No, no, I, was, of, I was wondering if you were going to say that or if I was going to have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just a saying, but I think there's some truth to it. You know, we can we can fall miserably short of our divine potential if we um, are just, you know, a little slothful, a little lazy. And, um, yeah, I know that God knows all things and he can be that perfect judge that we cannot. Um, I, I mean, one thought that comes to my mind is I was just, uh, watching a, a video on YouTube and it was talking about a topic I've heard about before how, um, 50, hundred years ago, um, they were using lead in the, um, gas for the, in ethyl to, um, power cars. And anyway, um, a lot of lead pollution happened in our country and around the world. And it led to what they think is pretty conclusively, at least a huge raise or rise in violent crime and abuse and um, mm. tons of health conditions. And there's this huge spike um, in countries that used this ethyl and other uh, lead pollutants. Um, and so, you know, lead is a very toxic thing to be in our blood and it'll kill you if you get too much of it. But anyway, there are all sorts of things that can affect um, your choices. And, you know, what about people who have extenuating circumstances, mental illness, or some other, you know, pollution in their body that makes uh, some issue of morality more difficult than another? That's, you know, who could judge that? Who could know? Well, God knows everything. So, um, you know, anyone who's truly, truly trying I think, uh, you know, we'll be well off, but that's the thing. I think some people, when I say that they have a different thing in mind than what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And, and, and I think that that distinction is important to recognize that it's not meant to be an excuse. Right. But, but 
God may be thanked that he does know what we go through, that he's not, you know, I, I'm so grateful that I'm not the judge of everyone. Cause if I had to judge everyone based off the scriptures I've, I've read, I, I'd be worried, <laughs> but, 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 but genuinely God, God is loving and he does care for us and he does know us. And, and uh, that being said, there, there's the opposite side. And I think one important distinction to recognize is uh, if, if, if you want to know kind of where you want to be heading, you can choose where you go today. Right. Every, every single day, every single choice you make, you're able to kind of guide your life and, and, and cultivate your spirit to a degree wherein uh, you choose to follow God or, or reject him is ultimately what it comes down to. Right. And, and one, one important distinction I'd, I'd like to suggest, at least, that, that's important in this topic would be if you go to DNC 76, this is the, the vision of, of it's the vision, right? It's a, of the kingdoms of heaven. Um, but later in, I th- uh, somewhere around verse 80, somewhere around there. Uh, it, it distinguishes the terrestrial kingdom, right? The second kingdom from the celestial, right? Where, where most people would consider, you know, the, the, the highest degree of, of, of all of the kingdoms, right? And, and the distinction that it makes for those who go to the celestial kingdom compared to those who go to the terrestrial is this. It, it talks about how the, those who are not valiant in the testimony of Jesus do not obtain that crown. And, and, and so, so one thing that we can do is maybe think of, well, how then can we be a little bit more valiant in the testimony of Jesus, right? Um, and, and, and I'd suggest that, as we've talked about before, this gospel, it really is not a passive gospel. It's a lot of the, the all, all of the doctrines, if not uh, a, at very least a lot of them, are very active in nature, right? They are not just meant for us to do, but for us to become. And as we do those things, we will become um, hopefully valiant in, in that testimony that we have of Jesus Christ, uh, who does save us, <laughs> thank goodness, according to his knowledge of, of our intentions, of our works, and of who we truly are and who we want to become. Yeah, I like that. And it's all about change. It's, um, you know, we are becoming new beings. And if, if we are resistant to that idea, we're unwilling to change, to become a new person, and we're just sitting on the couch and saying, Okay, I'm ready, Jesus. Change me. You know, make me a celestial being. Uh, sorry, that's not going to happen. You know, it's it's going to take active effort along with the grace of Christ. He's like, you know, I've got the power. I've got all the things you need. The toolkit's right here, um, but you're going to have to put effort into it too. And there are many things, as Joseph Smith even said, that we'll have to do after this uh, after this life that will effectuate, effectually bring us into that position to become celestial beings or, you know, to receive our degree, degree of glory. But it's not going to be a sitting on the couch, someone ma- waves a magic wand and, you know, bang, it's done. So anyway, kind of weird way to end my thoughts on that. But yeah, I think we've, we've said what I, what I agree with and what I would say yeah, I'm an answer to this question. Well, good. Well, thanks for, for joining us today. Uh, make sure you find that, uh, as Mike would say, we'll, we'll quote a great man and uh, say, find a good balance in things, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week.